but please stand with me as we read the Word of God. Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you see others, sorry, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray one more time together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have bid us come as your blood-bought children. Lord, that you have given us the privilege of exalting your high and holy name in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we pray our prayers. Lord, I pray that you will help us as your people to exalt you in our prayers. And, and even, Lord, in, in this prayer that we're praying together now, may you be exalted in our hearts. May you be glorified. Lord, we pray that your kingdom, which was established in the life and ministry of Christ and will be fulfilled in his return, I pray that your kingdom would be established in every heart. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom would expand here this morning through the proclamation of your word, through the proclamation of the gospel from the saints. And Lord Jesus, we do pray that in your perfect timing that you would come. Lord, that you would return and finally fulfill your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would enable us to do your will. Lord, we are so easily bent on, on our own desires and our own plans, our own purposes, and, in, and really, in, in many respects, we, we live for ourselves. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to seek your will. Lord, I pray that that, that would be true for us as, as a church and that your church would expand and that many more would, would be, be delighted to do your will, O oh God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are indeed the giver of all good things. You are the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Lord, we pray that, that you would help us, Lord, to seek you for all of our provision. Lord, not that, that we would not to become so comfortable that, that we would forget you, but Lord, to, to get what we need. So that, so that we can focus on serving you. And Lord, that the energy that we gain from the, the food that you provide would be used for, for your glory. We, we pray, Lord, that you would continue to provide for, for our needs as a church. Lord, and as individual families, we, we pray, Lord, there are some in our, in our church who are hurting financially right now. We pray, Lord, that you would meet their needs. 
Lord, in a way that, that you would get all the glory. Lord, we pray that, that, that you would forgive us. And, and so, Lord, that, that we would be a forgiving people as a forgiven people. Lord, help us to remember the, the parable of the unforgiving servant who was forgiven such a huge debt, and yet he went out and, and throttled his, his fellow servant for, for a, a really minor debt in comparison. Lord, help us all to know that we have been forgiven so much and out of the riches of that forgiveness that we would be eager to forgive others. So we would reflect you and your glory in that. Lord, we pray that you would protect us. Lord, that you would protect us from sin and temptation, from the schemes of the devil. Lord, that you would even protect our hearts and our minds this morning as we consider these things in your word. It would be so easy for us to be distracted. Lord, to, to think about the, the cares of this world. But Lord, I, I pray that you protect us from that temptation. Help us, Lord, to stay focused. Help us, Lord, to learn. Help us, Lord, to see ourselves as, as we examine these things together. And Lord, to repent. Lord, and, and to, to turn away from every sin. Lord, we pray these things confident that, that even as we pray, Lord, your Son is interceding for us. Your Holy Spirit is interceding for us. And so, Lord, we pray that in the name of Jesus, you would hear our prayers. Amen. Few things have the capacity to make Christians feel more guilty than their prayer life. Now, I need to say from the outset that, that you are accepted... And if you're a Christian, you are accepted not on the basis of having perfect prayers or, or having a perfect anything, but you are accepted in the Beloved only through the perfection of Jesus Christ, His perfect life, and His death that He died for you on the cross. That and only that is the basis of our acceptance in God. And that and only that is the basis of the acceptance of our prayers. Christ paid the penalty for your sin, including your sin of prayerlessness. And Christ also lived the perfectly righteous life that you never lived, not even for a moment. Jesus Christ was the only perfect prayer. All of his prayers were out of perfect love to his heavenly father and perfect love to his brothers and sisters. His prayers were perfect. He, he would rise up early in the morning to pray and he'd pray for, for long hours. He knew that, that he depended on, on his heavenly father for all of his needs. So he prayed. And that perfect prayer life of Jesus, if you are in Jesus, has been credited to your account. So you can come to God, you can come to your Heavenly Father, confident that in Jesus you have been decreed a perfect prayer. Now isn't that a motivation to, to greater prayer? But if you feel guilty for having a, a poor prayer life, and, 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 and I know that, that, that many people in this church, in fact, almost to a person, that, that, that people in this church have said that they need to grow in their prayer life a lot. And so there's a, there's a desire in us, and, and even sometimes a feeling of guilt over, over not praying like we should. 
But feelings of guilt alone will, will never cause you to pray. You need to go confident in the gospel and that and preach the gospel to yourself. And this is what will enable you. This is what will inspire you and, and drive you to prayer. And so we, 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 should, we, we should pray more than we do. And, and we should feel not right about that. We should even feel a sense of guilt over that. But let those feelings of guilt cause you to flee to Christ. Let those feelings of guilt be an impetus to prayer. Now we know that God has commanded prayer. We know that, that prayer is, is really fellowship with God himself. We know that God answers prayer. We, we know that we should be spending time alone with prayer. And we know that, that, that as men we should be leading our families in prayer. We know that we should be coming together for times of corporate prayer. Yet none of us really prays as we should. Remember, the standard of our prayer life is the perfection of Jesus Christ. So none of us prays like we should. And so we come, even, as, as, even though that we are people that have been counted righteous in Christ, we acknowledge that we need to grow. And so we seek the Lord to help us to pray more. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that prayer is beyond question the highest activity of the human soul. He said, man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. And therefore, it is at the same time the ultimate test of a man's true spiritual condition. A man discovers the condition of his spiritual life when he examines himself in private, when he is alone with God. Now, I hope all of us would agree that, that prayer is the, the, highest, the highest activity that we can be involved in. But what does your prayer life say about you? What John Owen said of ministers is true of us all. He said, what we are on our knees in secret before God Almighty, that we are and no more. What are you on your knees before God Almighty? There is a sense in which prayer comes naturally to the Christian. A, a true Christian can't not pray. God has given us new hearts and new desires to spend time in communion with Him. Yet we do not pray like we should. We have access to the King of Heaven through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Yet we don't pray as we should. Praying is, in a sense, as easy as having a conversation. Yet we don't pray like we should. Why is that? Why is it that we don't pray? Why do we pray too little? Why do we pray of a sense of duty? Why do we pray repetitive prayers? Why do we pray habitual prayers? Why don't we change? Why don't we change? Now, as, as the, the kids determine, that, that some don't pray because they're not saved. Some do not pray because they're not saved. And, and just like a believer has a desire for communion with God, an unbeliever does not have that desire. It is completely foreign to them. They have no desire to pray. But assuming that we're talking about genuine Christians here, as soon as, assuming we're talking about people who, who have been, been given the Holy Spirit to, to draw them to God and to sanctify them, what is it that's hindering us? 
Well, the Bible lists several specific hindrances to prayer. And all of these are the results of sin. Well, the first is unrepentant sin. Psalm 66, 8 says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Isaiah 59, 2 says, Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. If you're walking in unrepentant sin, God will not listen to you. Similarly, not obeying God or doing what pleases Him will hinder your prayers. 1 John 3, 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Husbands, if you dishonor your wife, God will not hear your prayers. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And I hear this, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I think you'd make the case it's true if, if, a, if a, a wife is dishonoring her husband. I think you could say that the same would be true, that, that God would not listen to her prayers. Being irresponsible will hinder your prayer life. 1 Peter 4, 7. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Not praying according to God's will. 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. You know, we, we don't just tack on in Jesus' name, at the end of the prayer, and then Felix like twisting God's arm behind his back in order that he's going to answer our prayers. We need to ask according to his will. Even Jesus on the, in Gethsemane prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Now, of course, we know that, that the will of, of the Son and the will of the Father are, are one, but in his, in his human weakness, Jesus knew the temptation. He knew what was coming for him, and he, and he was, was dreading it, but he still submitted his will to the Father. Selfish prayers are not heard by God. James 4.3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And finally, doubting God's existence, character, or purposes will hinder your prayers. Hebrews 11.6, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So those are some, there's others, but those are some key biblical uh, passages that point to ways that, that, that our sin can hinder our prayers. There's other reasons why Christians don't pray. Some Christians don't pray because their flesh draws them away to, into activities that, that bring more earthly enjoyment. Some don't pray be, because they're distracted by the cares of this life. Some don't pray because they're depressed. Some don't pray because they're too busy. Some don't pray because of the schemes of the devil. Some don't pray because of guilt, either legitimate or illegitimate guilt. And some don't pray because they don't feel like it. Even mature Christians can fall into these. Even mature Christians can sometimes not pray rightly. Each of these heart issues needs to be addressed in order for you to be able to pray rightly. And again, those, those sins that were listed there, to, to a certain extent, they describe us all. And so again, we flee to the blood of Christ. We pray as adopted sons and daughters, repentant, 
walking in, in heartfelt grief and sorrow for our sins and, and striving to walk in obedience. But there's other reasons why people don't pray and, and, and in some cases it, it really isn't because of sin. Some people don't pray because they just don't know how to pray. They don't know how to pray. They've never been taught how to pray. And really that's what the sermon series for the next 10 weeks is, is looking at. It's, it's learning how to pray. We're going to be teaching you how to pray. And so it, I, I really hope that, that you can be here for every week of this series. And if, if you miss it, that you can, can check it out on, on YouTube or on the, the, on the website for the church and, and listen to that sermon so that you can stay keeping up with, with what we're doing. And, and again, I, I want to commend the, the midweek Bible study to you because this is going to be an opportunity for you to, to think about application and to give you practice in learning how to do these things. And it's always is, is true of, of, of all of life that, that you get out what you put in. And, and the more that you put into this, the more that you're going to get out of it for the glory of God and for the upbuilding of the church. So we're going to be focusing in this sermon series on, on how to pray. We need to learn how to pray. Don Whitney says in his excellent book, Praying the Bible, that there's a sense in which prayer needs to be taught to a child of God no more than a baby needs to be taught to cry. So there's one sense in which, which again, it comes naturally for us as, as Christians to pray. But nevertheless, a parent would not be content if their child merely communicates through crying by the age of 16. We need to learn to grow in our prayer lives. Whitney continues, A child of God gradually learns to pray like this in the same way that a growing child learns to talk. And so learning to pray rightly can actually help you with all of those areas of sin that are listed. Learning to pray rightly is, is, is a way that you can actually deal with sin. Prayer is, is a means of grace. It's like the platter that, that God's grace is served to you on. It's, it's through prayer that, that God grants you repentance. It's through prayer that God grants you strength to overcome sin and overcome temptation. And so learning to pray rightly can help you, can help you to, to learn to overcome sin. But again, there's a bunch of other reasons why people don't pray. And these aren't necessarily sinful. Well, one of the kids picked up on this too is, is that you don't pray because you don't feel like it. You don't pray because you don't feel like it. Again from Don Whitney. It says many don't feel like praying because they tend to say the same things in the same old way. Does that describe you? Saying the same old things in the same old way? Do you find yourself repeating yourself in your prayers? I know sometimes I do. It becomes just a habit, just a rote, that, that I'm, only, I'm really only half there, if that. And so it's, it's really what Jesus talks about sometimes is, is a vain repetition, slightly different context, but, but if I'm just saying the same things and not, I'm not engaged in it, then I'm really not praying. Boring Don Whitney's illustration of this, he says, imagine if you won a contest where you could spend an hour talking to any person on earth. 
So if you win this contest and, and you get to spend one hour talking with, with anybody on earth, who would you choose? Would you choose a, a head of state or, or an athlete or an actor? I hope most of us here would, would choose somebody like John MacArthur or, or R.C. Sproul or, or Al Mohler. And you'd be really excited to, to have that conversation, wouldn't you? You'd be, you'd be thinking, dance, okay, what am I, I going to ask him? I have these, these, these questions I really want to talk to this person about. You'd be really looking forward to that conversation. But imagine if you were to have that exact same conversation with that person every single day. If every day of your life you had exactly the same conversation with that person. I think you know where I'm going with this. You would get bored. You would get bored. And you would not be eager to enter into that conversation. You'd be happy to say, you know what, I could, I'm done with that, with that prize. And so many of us are like that in our prayers. We get bored because we're saying the same things to God. We're having the same conversation with God over and over and over again. And so it's really no wonder why we don't pray. Well, maybe this describes you. You get down on your knees to pray, and immediately you think of your needs. Maybe there's, there's a health issue, or a, a financial issue, or a re relational issue. Now, now, don't get me wrong, it's entirely appropriate to go to God with our needs. But when we focus on ourselves, and on what we feel that we need, our world is too small. The world is too small, and so our prayer life will not be satisfying if we, if we are not, got, not drawn out of ourselves into something higher. What about this? You don't know what to pray. You know that you're supposed to pray, and you, you know that God hears prayers that are asked according to His will, but you don't know what God's will is. And so you don't pray. This one will especially keep you from, from praying in public. You're uncertain about your prayers, so you don't pray. And then there's this one. You're confident that God will, you're not confident that God will hear your prayers. Either you're wondering about the reality of your relationship with God, or, or you wonder whether He's really going to listen to you, whether He's really going to give you what's, what's best. And maybe it would describe some of us that even there's been times that we've been angry with God. So we don't pray. In these cases, we don't understand who God is or what God is like, so we don't pray. And there's this one. D.A. Carson describes Christians just setting out on the path of prayer, sometimes praying for everything they can think of, and then they glance at their watches and discover that they've only prayed for three or four minutes. Is that you? Do you exhaust your list of things to pray for in just a few minutes? Now, I'm including these things because this has all described me at some times. This, then there's this one. You begin to pray and almost immediately your, your mind begins to wander. You think about what you have to do today, or you think about what you did yesterday, or you're thinking about a conversation that you had with your spouse, or the weather, or hockey, or anything else besides the fact of what you're supposed to be thinking about. You're supposed to be communing with God. So you get distracted and you don't pray. The last one I'm going to mention is, is probably the most common. You pray and you don't feel anything. 
And don't get me wrong, I'm not talking here about emotionalism. I'm talking about just, just being cold, feeling cold and dead in your prayers. Does any of this sound familiar? Again, I think this can describe all of us to a certain degree at some time or another. When, when people talk to me about, about the, their, their lack of, of prayer in a life, these are the most common responses. Maybe one of them applies to you, maybe several, or maybe all of them apply to you to a certain degree. But if they describe you, you're not alone. You're not alone. You are not the only one who has struggled in this way. Have you heard of George Mueller? I hope that, that, that most of us have. That George Mueller is remembered as a man of faith. He's remembered as a man of prayer. He was famous for establishing orphanages in the 19th century in, in, in England. He was led by God to establish his, his first orphanage when he was poor. He had very little in the way of, of resources, and, and he determined that, that he wasn't going to ask anyone but the Lord to meet his needs. He prayed and the Lord provided a building. <clears throat> He prayed and the Lord provided workers. He prayed and the Lord provided children, over 300 of them. Very quickly, there, there was, was, was a lot of children in his care. But one day, the food ran out. And so the, the house mother of the orphanage informed Mueller, she said, the children are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat. So Mueller told her to bring the children into the dining room and have them to all to sit at tables. And then he prayed, and he thanked God for the food that was not yet on the table. And they waited, and then suddenly there was a knock at the door. It was the baker. He said, I can't explain it, but, but I, I couldn't sleep last night, and, and I thought that, that you might need extra bread, so, so the Lord laid on my heart to make extra bread, so, so here's all this bread that you can have for, for your orphans free of charge. But that wasn't all. Then there was another knock on the door. It was the milkman. And, and he said, my milk truck is broken down right in front of your orphanage, and I've got, uh, I've got ten big jugs of, of milk that are going to spoil by the time that the wheel is fixed, so, so I'm going to give you all of this milk. Just enough children for these 300-some, just enough milk for these 300-some children that were gathered there. George Mueller prayed, and the Lord answered those prayers powerfully and clearly, and even in this case, immediately. But you'd probably be shocked to hear that prayer did not always come easy for George Mueller. <coughs> prayer didn't always come easy for him. In the early part of his ministry, he, he often struggled to pray from the heart. And he said, I often spend a quarter of an hour, half an hour, or, or an hour on my knees and having, trying to, without having derived any comfort or encouragement or humbling of the soul. And after suffering much from, from wanderings of mind for the first ten minutes or a quarter of an hour, even half an hour, it was only then I really began to pray. Does this sound familiar? Now, I, I don't think most of us have the same persistence in prayer that, that George Mueller had, but, but I think we can resonate with the fact that he struggled to pray. 
that he struggled to pray. But what was Mueller's solution? He said, I speak to my father about the things that he's brought before me in his precious word. It often now astonishes me that I did not sooner see the point. Do you hear what Mueller was saying? He prayed God's word. He prayed God's word back to God. He prayed through the scriptures. And, and it's really a, a simple solution, isn't it? But it, and it's right under our noses, but, but so few of us actually pray this way. We have God's Word. We, we read God's Word, but we don't pray God's Word. And, and this, this solution of, of praying God's Word is, is really a solution to prayerlessness for Christians. Whether it's, it's due to sin or, or any of those other reasons that I listed, praying through God's Word is a way to keep you praying. It's a way to, to cause you to delight and to rejoice and to, to eagerly enter into prayer with God. John Piper describes it like this. He says, for me, it is absolutely essential that my prayers be guided by, saturated by, sustained by, and controlled by the Word of God. He says, if you open the Bible and start reading it, and pause at every verse and turn it into a prayer, that's what it means to pray the Scripture. We open God's Word and we let it guide our prayers. And so prayer becomes more of a dialogue. God speaks to us in, in His Word and we speak His Word back to Him. Now, although it's not necessarily wrong to take a prayer from the Bible or, or a passage from the Bible and, and pray it word for word, when, when I talk about praying through the Scriptures, I don't really mean just praying the words of the page. It, it means letting these words guide your prayer. It means as you, as you think about, about these things, then, then it's, it's praying the concepts that are contained in that passage. It's praying those concepts back to God. I'm almost embarrassed to, to admit how long it, it took for me to, to realize this and to learn this in my own Christian walk. Again, from Don Whitney, he says that when we pray the Bible, the Spirit of God will use the Word of God to help the people of God increasingly pray the will of God. Say that again. The Spirit of God will use the Word of God to help the people of God pray increasingly according to the will of God. You can go all the way back through church history. You can look at the church fathers, men like Irenaeus and Tertullian and, and Augustine, and see the practice. Martin Luther wrote a book about it called A Simple Way to Pray. Matthew Henry wrote a book about it called A Method for Prayer. Andrew Murray wrote a book about it focusing on the words of Jesus, and we have it actually downstairs in the church library. It's called With Christ in the School of Prayer. Robert Murray McShane was of the same conviction. He said, turn the Bible into prayer. He said, this is the best way of knowing the meaning of the Bible and of learning to pray. Now, these men are all spiritual heavyweights, and they all prayed through the Scriptures. So do you want to pray rightly? Do, do you want to pray maturely? Do you want to pray effectively? Then pray like the disciples in Luke 11.1. 1. This is the, the first prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. 
Lord, teach us to, be, to pray. And then look to His Word for instruction on how to pray. Now, now Jesus was asked that question in, in Luke 11.1. 1, and the answer to that came in Luke 11, verses 2-4. to 4. It's the prayer that is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. It was given in response to the disciples' request, Lord, teach us to pray. This prayer is also found in Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13, where we're from the central part of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to dive into that passage next Sunday, Lord willing, focusing uh, there on, on verses 6 to 8. But this prayer really, even though it's often termed the Lord's Prayer, isn't really best referred to as the Lord's Prayer. John MacArthur picks up on this, the fact that, 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 Jesus, that Jesus couldn't pray this prayer. Because, because one of the key requests in that is, is, Lord, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. Jesus never needed to pray for forgiveness because Jesus never sinned. So MacArthur calls this the disciples' prayer. And I think that's, that's a really appropriate way of, of looking at it. But I'm going to be referring to this passage as the model prayer. As the model prayer. Because it provides a framework or an outline for prayer. Now again, while it isn't wrong to, to pray these exact words uh, as they're printed here, but, but this is not what Jesus intended. When Jesus gave this prayer, he, he was, was not meaning for, it was not meaning for us just to, just to pray in a rote fashion, but he was meaning for us to, to think about what these concepts represent and to then pray them back to him. So each of these statements that is here in, the, in this passage are, are there to guide and to direct our prayers. And you can, you can see this is what Jesus meant because he didn't say pray this. He said pray like this. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are, are indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now after the, the address of, of our Father, there's, there's six petitions in this prayer. We're going to focus on, on one of them each week. So think here first, uh, just quickly as, a, as an overview, first think about the pronouns. The pronouns that are here. So after our Father, it's your name, your kingdom, your will. Then it's our bread, our forgiveness, and our protection. The first three are focused on God. And then the second three are focused on us. Yeah, so, most, so many of us just launch into what we feel we need at the beginning of our prayers, but, but this directs our prayer. And, and the, the, this first petition of, of praying for, for God's name to be hallowed really is the, sets the foundation and sets the tone for the rest of the prayer that, that in the entire prayer that God's name would be hallowed in our hearts. Notice too that, that it, with those three petitions for ourselves, they're not, they're not me and my, they're, they're our bread. Our forgiveness, our protection. It's, it's meant to be a corporate prayer. It's, we're meant to pray in this also for our brothers and our sisters. So very quickly, when we pray our Father, it means that we're adopted into God's family. And so you can pray that, thank you God for adopting me as a son, as a daughter. Thank you Lord for, for adopting my brothers and sisters in Christ 
into your heavenly family for the, to the praise of your glorious grace. It, it's, it's saying, thank you, Father, that you poured out your wrath on your Son so that I can call you Father. When we pray your, your name, may your name be hallowed, we're, we're seeking that, that God would be exalted in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, and in our prayers. And again, all prayer follows under this great head. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, we're acknowledging that God's kingdom is inaugurated in the ministry of Jesus and that it will be fulfilled in His return. So it's, the focus is there um, in the present, in the, in the way that God's rule will be extended in our hearts. But we're praying ultimately that, that God's kingdom would be expanded and would finally be fulfilled in the return of Christ. So part of this is, is a prayer, come Lord Jesus. We pray for God's will to be done. It's, it's a prayer that His will will be done presently, fully, and ultimately, and that in our own lives and in, in that of those around us that our will will be submitted to God. And then when we pray for, for our bread, these are, are really also an, an opportunity for us to give thanks for God's provision. But it's, it's a petition for provision in general, not just for food. So in this, we're, we're expressing our daily reliance on God. We're focusing on our present needs, not on our wants. When we pray for forgiveness, in, this is in verse 12 and also in, in verses 14 and 15, Jesus expounds on this. It, it, this is not saying that, that, that forgiveness is conditional, but those who, that those who are truly forgiven will forgive. This is, this is an opportunity to reflect on areas where we need to ask for forgiveness. It's an opportunity to ask God for help that we would forgive those who have sinned against us. It's also an, inter, an opportunity for intercessory prayer. To pray for those around us who are caught in sin. And then finally, verse 13, it's a prayer for protection. Now, now some have divided that into two, but it's really, it's really one. It's really one petition there. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is, this is a prayer that God would protect us from temptation, from sin, from the schemes of the devil. That God would protect ourselves, our, our family, our church, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. So we're going to spend the next 10 weeks learning how to pray in this way, learning how to pray God's Word. And we're going to, we're going to finish with a, a conclusion where we're going to review what we've learned. You're going to be challenged to, to continue praying through Scripture, and it's going to be also an opportunity for people to testify of what God has taught them. It's going to be an opportunity to, to testify of, of prayers that God has answered through this through this series. It's going to be an opportunity to testify of ways that, that you have grown in your prayer life through the study of this passage. The model prayer isn't the only way to pray. You don't need to, to pray this way every single time. Some of my most heartfelt prayers have just been, Lord, help, in the middle of a crisis. We see all kinds of prayers offered up in the scriptures. Joshua read for us earlier Daniel 9, which really a lot of it, it follows a similar pattern to, to this model prayer in, in Matthew chapter 6. But we, we, can, we can see um, Abraham praying for an heir, or Moses interceding for Israel, or Aaron praying for blessing on Israel. We can, we can think about Deborah praising God for victory, or Joshua asking the Lord to make the sun stand still, and Hannah praying for a son. We, we can... We can think about David praying for guidance and, and really that when you consider the proper context, these prayers can be, can be adapted to your own prayer life. 
Some passages of Scripture really lend themselves to this practice more than others. And I think especially of the Psalms. Many of the Psalms are actually prayers. And you can pray the principles that are presented in those Psalms. You can pray the, the, the didactic, the teaching passages of the New Testament. You can, you can pray the, the, the commands in, in, the, in, the, in the Old Testament. You can, you can, pray, that, that, uh, you can pray through, through pretty much all the scriptures. And your, your whole prayer life will grow. You're never going to run out of things to pray for. When you pray God's word back to God. But I believe that the model prayer is the clearest passage that teaches us how to pray. Matthew Henry wrote, This prayer being intended not only for a form of prayer itself, but as a rule of direction, a plan or model in a little, by which we may frame our prayers. This series on the model prayer is meant to be a springboard to, to help you to practice, to, to enter into the practice of praying through Scripture. It's meant to be in, an introduction into what will I pray become a lifelong practice for us all. Let's pray.